I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, But in there somewhere and all that is a a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah... You've reached Leaves of Glen. Uh, here you find me in the mansion of Leaves of Glen in my drawing room. Uh, and this is where I read the hottest in public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week, we'll be reading uh, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It's the eighth novel by Charles Dickens. Uh, first published as a serial in 1849 through 1850, and as a book uh, eventually in 1850. And it's widely considered uh, his most popular work. Why am I being so quiet? Because last week, a racist broke into my house and demanded that I take him seriously and listen to his opinions. Uh, Finally, eventually, he was taken away, uh, but now he, along with all the other racists, are slumbering, uh, dreaming the dreams of a uh, whatever racist dream, which I'm sure is terrible. Uh, I don't want to wake him. Uh, They're going to be back. Uh, Apparently they have big plans for the inauguration to do more horrible things to upset everyone. Uh, But for now, uh, we get to spend uh, about a week or so just pretending that we live in a normal world. And if we're too loud, we're going to wake them up. And uh, they're going to be back and ruin everything. So for now, shut up. And don't be so loud. Uh, Take a seat. And I'll tell you about the author of... uh, of this book that we're reading. It's Charles Dickens. Oh, shh. And he's born the 7th of February, 1812. And he died the 9th of June, 1870. I'm running out of facts uh, for Charles Dickens. Uh, but one fact is, uh, uh, during the time that this book was written, uh, the novel is an example of Bill Doom's Roman which I don't know where that comes from, but it's a real term, and it means that it's the type of novel that focuses on the psychological and moral growth of the main character during their formative years. For example, uh, other books that deal with Bill Doom's roman is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, Little Women, Jane Eyre, and the Harry Potter novels. Oh, shh! Harry Potter novels. Uh, and that's examples of that. Uh, let me give a little recap of what happened in the previous uh, chapter, uh, David goes to Yarmouth to visit Peggy's family who live in a uh, weirdly an abandoned boat. It's whimsical. Uh, he didn't mind it. He thought it was just the greatest thing ever. Uh, he meets Peggy's brother, Daniel, who's uh, usually out drinking too much, uh, which upsets uh, his wife, Mrs. Gummidge, who spends most of her time weeping and upset because uh, she's widowed uh, from her first husband. And she's constantly lamenting him. Uh, eh, just unending, unrelenting pain over his death. To the point where I'm sure Daniel regrets his marriage. Uh, he gets to meet uh, Ham and Emily, who aren't uh, Daniel's biological kids. But uh, he adopted them nicely enough. Though he's dirt poor, he thought he could still give them a nice life. Which is nice. So, David... 
learning about them, decides, uh, oh, it's a great opportunity to hit on a fragile and emotionally uh, vulnerable Emily by trying to kiss her immediately when he walks in the door. And she rejects it, but he is annoying and uh, unrelenting, and she uh, later she wants him to kiss her. Uh, so they have their own little romantic tryst as children, uh, to the degree that children will have a romantic tryst, and, uh, and then he, he leaves again. Uh, to go back home. And he promises her, oh, I'm going to write you. Which I'm sure is an empty promise. Uh, we'll see. And uh, when he goes home, uh, he finds out his mom married the creepy Mr. Birdstone guy. Uh, and uh, they rearranged his god dang bedroom, which is, uh, which is the one place in a child's life that's theirs. This room is mine. It's got my stuff in it. I've arranged it the way I wanted. I got the posters up that I want. And I'm sure, you know, most kids have Tony Hawk skateboarding posters. Uh, and, uh, nope, they rearranged it and cleaned it. So, oh, thank God the bell's going off. So anyways, also, they had an empty dog kennel for the longest time, which reminded him of his dead father. Uh, now they put a new dog in it. So with that, let's dive into the story. For God's sake, don't be too loud. Chapter 4, I Fall Into Disgrace If the room to which my bed was removed were a sentient thing that could give evidence, I might appeal uh, to it uh, at this day. Uh, who sleeps there now? I wonder! Exclamation point. To bear witness for me what a heavy heart I carried to it. Burp. I went up there, hearing the dog uh, in the yard bark after me. All the way while I climbed the stairs and look at his blank and strange upon the room as the room looked upon me. Sat down with my small hands crossed and, and thought. I, I thought of the oddest things, of the shape of the room, of the cracks in the ceiling, of the paper on the walls, of the flaws in the window glass making the ripples and, and dimples, yeah, and the prospect of the washing stand being rickety on its three legs and uh, having a disconnected uh, something about it, which reminded me of Mrs. Gummidge under the influence of the old one. I was crying now all the time, but except that I was conscious of being cold and dejected. I'm sure I never thought why I cried. At last... In my desolation, I began to consider that I was dreadfully in love with little Emily and had been torn away from her to come here where no one seemed to want me or, or to care about me half as much as she did. Oh, this is adorable. Uh, this made such a very miserable piece of business of it that I rolled myself up in the corner of my counterpane and cried myself to sleep. I was awoke uh, by somebody saying, uh, Here he is, and uncovering my hot head. My mother and Peggy had come to look for me, and it was one of them who had done it. Davy, said my mother, eh, what's the matter? I thought it was very strange that she would ask me and answered, uh, uh, Nothing. I turned over on my face. I recollect to hide my trembling lip 
which answered her with greater truth. Davy, yes, said my mother. Davy, my child, exclamation point. I dare say no words she could have uttered would have affected me so much then as her calling me her child. I hid my tears uh, in the bedclothes and pressed her from me with my hand. And then she would have raised me up. Uh, this is your doing, Peggotty, you, you cruel thing, said my mother. I have no doubt at all about it. How, how can you reconcile it with your conscience? I wonder to prejudice my own boy against me or against, against anybody who is dear to me. Uh, what do you mean by it, Peggotty? Oh, poor Peggy lifted her hands and eyes and only answered in a, in a, in a sort of paraphrase of the grace I usually repeated after dinner. Uh, Lord, uh, forgive you, Mrs. Copperfield, and for what you have said this minute, may you never truly be sorry. Uh, it's enough to distract me, cried my mother, in my honeymoon too, when my most invert enemy might relent. Uh, one would think, and not envy me a little peace of mind and happiness. Davy, uh, you naughty boy, exclamation point. Peggy, you savage creature, exclamation point. Oh, dear me, exclamation point, cried my mother, turning from one of us to another in her pitiful, willful manner. Uh, what a troublesome world this is, when one has the most right to expect it to be as agreeable as possible. Now I felt the touch of hand uh, that I knew was neither hers nor Peggotty's and slipped to my feet at the bedside. It was Mr. Murdstone's hand. Oh, and he kept it on my arm as he said, uh, What's this? Uh, Clara, uh, my love, have you forgotten? Uh, firmness, my dear. Yeah, I'm very sorry, Edward, said my mother. I, I meant to be very good, but I am so uncomfortable. Indeed, he answered, that is a bad hearing so soon, Clara. I say it is very hard I should uh, be made so now, returned my mother, pouting, and it is very hard, isn't it? He drew her to him, whispered in her ear, and kissed her. I knew as well when I saw my mother's head lean down upon his shoulder and her arm touch his neck. I knew as well that he uh, could mold her, uh, her pliant nature into any form he chose, as I know now that he did it. Go you below, my love, said Mr. Murdstone. David and I will come down together, my friend, turning a darkening face on Peggotty. And when he had watched my mother out, and he dismissed her with a nod and a smile, do you, do you know your mistress's name? She has been my mistress as long as time, sir, answered Peggotty. I ought to know it. That is true, he answered. But I thought I heard you as I came upstairs address her by a name that is uh, not hers. She's taken mine, you know. You remember that? Peggotty, with some uneasy glances at me, curtsied herself out of the room without replying, seeing I suppose that she was expected to go. It had uh, eh, no excuse for remaining. And when the two were left alone, she shut the door. And sitting on a chair and holding me standing before him, looked steadily into my eyes. I felt my own, attracted no less steadily, to his. As I recall our being opposed thus, face to face, I seem again to hear my heart beat fast and high. David! He said, making his lips thin uh, by, by uh, pressing them together. If I have an obstinate horse or dog to deal with, uh, what do you think I do? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I beat him. 
I had answered in a kind of breathless whisper, but I felt in my silence that my breath was shorter now. I I make him wince and smart, I say to myself. I'll conquer this fellow. And and if it were to cost him all the blood he had, I should do it. Uh, What is that upon your face? Dirt, I said. He knew it was the mark of tears as well as I, but if uh, he had asked the question 20 times each time with 20 blows, I believe that my baby heart would have burst before I would have told him so. Uh, you have a good deal of intelligence uh, for a little fellow, <laughs> said he with a grave smile that belonged to him, and you uh, understood me very well, I see. Uh, wash that face, sir, and come down with me. I pointed to the washing stand, which I had made out to be like uh, Mrs. Gummidge, and motioned me with his head to obey him directly. I had little doubt then, as I have less doubt now, that we, he would have uh, knocked me down without the least compunction. If I had hesitated, uh, Clara, my dear, he said when I had done his bidding, and he walked me into the parlor with his hand still on my arm, uh, you will not be made uncomfortable any more, I hope. We shall soon improve our youthful humors. <laughs> God help me. I might have been improved my whole life. I might have been made another creature, perhaps, uh, for life, by a kind word at that season. A word of uh, encouragement and uh, explanation uh, of pity for my childish ignorance, of welcome home, of reassurance to me and that it was home, might have made me dutiful to him in my heart henceforth, instead of in my hypocritical outside, uh, and might have made me respect instead of hate him. I thought my mother was sorry to see me standing in the room, so scared and strange, and that presently, when I stole to a chair, uh, she followed me with her eyes more sorrowfully still, missing, uh, perhaps, some freedom in my childish tread. But the word was not spoken, and the time for it was gone. Now we died alone. Died? I I meant to say dined. Wow, that was really emo. Uh, We three together. We seemed to be very fond of my mother. I am afraid I liked him none the better for that. And she was very fond of him. I gathered uh, from what they said that an elder sister of his was coming to stay with them and that she was expected that evening. I am not certain whether I found out then or afterwards that, without being actively concerned about any business, he had some share in or some annual charge upon the profits of a wine merchant's house in London, with which his family had been connected from his great mother's time, and in which his sister had a similar interest. But I may mention in this place whether or no. Oh, that was so big with no periods. After dinner, when we were sitting by the fire and I was meditating and escaped to Peggotty without having the hardihood to slip away, lest it should offend the master of the house, a coach drove up to the garden gate and he went out to receive the visitor. My, my mother followed him. I was timidly, timidly following her, and, and she turned around at the parlor door in the dusk, and taking me in her embrace as she had been used to do, and whispered uh, uh, me to love my new father and be obedient to him. And she did this hurriedly and secretly, as if it were wrong, but tenderly, and putting out her hand behind her and held it in mine until we came near to where he was standing in the garden, where she let mine go and drew hers through his arm. It was Miss Murdstone who was arrived... And a gloomy-looking lady she was. Oh, dark, 
Oh, like her brother, whom she greatly resembled in the face and voice, and with a very heavy eyebrows, uh, nearly meeting over her, her, her large nose, as if being disabled by the wrongs of her sex from the wearing whiskers. Uh, she had carried them to that account. She brought with her two uncompromising hard black boxes. Oh, uh, for a second there, I thought we were going to start getting racist. Uh, with her initials on the lids and hard brass nails. And when she paid the coachman, she took her money out of a hard steel purse. And she kept the purse in a very jail of a bag which hung upon her arm by a heavy chain. Jesus, what kind of purse is this? And shut it up like a bite. I had never at that time seen such a metallic lady altogether as Miss Murdstone was. Yeah, she was brought into the parlor with many tokens of welcome. And there formally recognized my mother as a, a new and near relation. Then she looked at me and said, uh, uh, Is that your boy? Sister-in-law, my mother acknowledged me. Generally speaking, said Miss Murdstone, I don't like boys. How do you do, boy? Well, under these encouraging circumstances, I replied that I was very well, and that I hoped that she was the same, with such an indifferent grace that Miss Murdstone disposed of me in two words, wants manner. Having uttered which, with a great distinctness, she begged the favor of being shown to her room, which became to me, from that time forth, a, a place of awe and dread, wherein the two black boxes were never seen open, or known to be left unlocked, and where, in parentheses, for I peeped in once or twice when she was out, numerous little steel fetters and rivets, which were Miss Murdstone's embellished herself when she was dressed, generally hung upon the looking-glass in formidable array. As well as I could make out, now nah, she had come for good. She had no intention of ever going again. And she began to, quote, help my mother the next morning, and was in and out of the store closet all day, putting things to rights, and making a havoc in the old arrangements. Almost the first remarkable thing I observed in Miss Murdstone was her being constantly haunted by a suspicion uh, that the servants had a man secreted somewhere on the premises. Under the influence of this delusion, she dived into the coal cellar at the most untimely hours and scarcely ever opened the door of a dark cupboard without clapping to it again in the belief that she had got him. There uh, was nothing very airy about Miss Murdstone. She was a, a perfect lark, ah, in point of getting up. Ah, she was up, in parentheses, and as I believed at this hour, looking for that man, before anybody in the house was stirring. Peggotty gave it as her opinion that she even slept with one eye open. But I could not concur to this idea, for I tried it myself after hearing the suggestion thrown out and found it couldn't be done. On the very first morning after her arrival, she was up and ringing her bell at cockcrow. Yeah, weird. When my mother came down to breakfast and she was going to make tea, Mrs. Murdstone gave her a kind of a, a kind of a, a peck on the cheek, which was her nearest approach to a kiss, and said, now, uh, Clara, my dear, I am come here, you know, to relieve you of all the, all the trouble I can. Ah, you much too pretty and thoughtless, my mother blushed and laughed and seemed not to dislike this character, and to have any duties opposed upon you that can be undertaken by me. 
If you'll be so good as to give me your, your keys, my dear, I'll attend to all sorts of things in the future. Yeah, from that time, Miss Murdstone kept the keys in her own little jail all day and under her pillow at night. And uh, my mother had no more to do with them than I had. My mother did not suffer her authority to pass from her without a shadow of protest. Uh, one night when Miss Murdstone had been developing certain household plans to her brother, of which signified his approbation, my mother suddenly began to cry. And she said... She thought she might have been consulted. Uh, Clara, said Miss Murdstone sternly, Clara, I wonder at you. Oh, it's very well to say you wonder, Edward, cried my mother, and it's very well for you to talk about uh, uh, firmness, but you wouldn't like it yourself. Firmness, I may observe, was the grand quality on which Mr. and Mrs. Murdstone took their stand. However, I might have expressed my comprehension of it at this time. If I had been called upon, I I nevertheless did clearly comprehend in my own way that it was another name for tyranny and for a a certain gloomy, arrogant devil's humor uh, that was in them both. The creed, as I should state it as now, was this. Mr. Murdstone was firm. Nobody in his world was to be so firm as Mr. Murdstone. Nobody else in his world was to be firm at all, for everybody was to be bent to his, 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 his firmness. Miss Murdstone was an exception. She might be firm, uh, but only by relationship, and in an inferior uh, tributary degree. My mother was another exception. Oh, well, she might be firm, and must be, but only in bearing their, their firmness, and firmly believing there was no other firmness upon earth. It is very hard, said my mother, that in my own house, my own house, repeated Mr. Murdstone, Clara, our own house, I mean, faltered my mother, evidently frightened. I hope you must know what I mean, Edward. It's, it's very hard that in, in your own house I may not have a word to say about domestic matters. I'm sure I managed very well before we were married. There's evidence, said my mother, sobbing. Ask Peggotty if I didn't do it very well when I wasn't interfered with. Edward, said Miss Murdstone, let there be an end to this. I go tomorrow. Jane Murdstone, said her brother, be silent. How dare you insinuate that you don't know my character better than your words imply? Oh, I'm sure, my poor mother went on at a grieving disadvantage and with many tears. I don't want anybody to go. I should be very miserable and unhappy if anybody was to go. I don't, I don't ask much. I'm not unreasonable. They want to be consulted sometimes. I, I am very much obliged to anybody who assists me. I only want to be consulted as a yeah, mere form sometimes. I thought you were pleased once with my being a little inexperienced and uh, <laughs> girlish, Edward. And I'm sure you said so. But you seem to to hate me for it now. Oh, you're so severe. Edward, said Miss Murdstone again, let there be an end to this. I go tomorrow. Jane Murdstone, thundered Mr. Murdstone. Will you be silent? How dare you? Miss Murdstone made a jail delivery of her pocket handkerchief and held it before her eyes. 
Clara, he continued, looking at my mother, you surprise me. You, you astound me. Yes, and I had a satisfaction in the thought of marrying an experienced and uh, uh, artless person and forming her character and infusing it into some amount of that firmness and decision of which it stood in need. But when Jane Murdstone is kind enough to come to my assistance and in this endeavor and to assume for my sake a condition of something eh, like a housekeeper's, and when she meets with a base return. Oh, pray, pray, Edward, cried my mother. Don't accuse me of being ungrateful, and I am sure I am not ungrateful. No one ever said I was before. I have many faults, but not that. Oh, don't, my dear. When Jane Murdstone meets, I say, he went on after waiting until my mother was silent, with a base return, that feeling of mine is, is chilled. And altered. Oh, don't, my love, say that, implored my mother uh, very piteously. Oh, don't, Edward. I can't bear to hear it. Wherever I am, I am affectionate. I know I'm affectionate. I wouldn't say it if I wasn't sure that I am. Ask Peggotty. Oh, I'm sure she'll tell you I'm affectionate. There's no extent of mere weakness, Clara, said Mr. Murdstone in reply, that I can have the least weight with me. Uh, you lose breath. Pray, ah, mm, ah, let us be friends, said my mother. I couldn't live under coldness or unkindness. I am, uh, so sorry. I have a, a great many defects. I now, uh, it's very good for you, Edward, with your strength of mind, to endeavor to correct them for me. Uh, Jane, uh, I don't object to, uh, anything. I should be quite... Broken-hearted, if you thought of leaving, my mother was too much overcome to go on. Jane Murdstone, said Mr. Murdstone to his sister, any harsh words between us are, I hope, uncommon. It is not my fault that so unusual an occurrence has taken place tonight. I was betrayed into it by another. Nor is it your fault uh, you were betrayed into it by another. Let us both... Uh, yeah. Tried to forget it, and as this, he added, after these magnanimous words, uh, is not fit seen for the, for the boy, David, go to bed. Well, I could uh, hardly find the door the, through the tears that stood in my eyes. I was so sorry for my mother's distress, but I groped my way out and groped my way up to my room in the dark without even having the heart to say uh, good night, Peggotty, or get a candle from her. When her coming up to look for me an hour so afterwards awoke me, she said that my mother had gone to bed uh, poorly and that Mr. and Mrs. Murdstone were sitting alone. Uh, going down next morning, rather than earlier than usual, I paused outside the parlor door uh, on hearing my mother's voice. Uh, she was very earnestly and humbly entreating Mrs. Murdstone's pardon, which that lady granted and a perfect reconciliation took place. I never knew my mother afterwards to give an opinion on any matter without first appealing to Mrs. Murdstone, without having first ascertained by some sure means uh, what Mrs. Murdstone's opinion was. And I never saw Miss Murdstone uh, went out of temper. Uh, she was infirm that way. Uh, move her hand toward her bag as if she were going to uh, take out the keys and offered to resign them to my mother, without seeing that my mother was in a terrible fright. Ah, the gloomy taint that was in the Murdstone blood darkened the Murdstone religion, which was austere and wrathful. I have thought since that uh, it is assuming that character was a necessary consequence of Mr. Murdstone's firmness, 
which wouldn't allow him to let anybody off from the utmost weight of the severest penalties he could find any excuse for. Uh, be this as it may, I well remember the tremendous visages with which we used to go to church and the changed air of the place again. And the dreaded Sunday comes around and I file into the old pew first, like a, uh, like a, like a guarded captive brought to a condemned service. Again, Miss Murdstone in a black velvet gown that looks as if it had been made out of a, a pall follows close upon me. And when my mother, then her husband, there is no Peggotty now is in the old time. Again, I listen to Miss Murdstone mumbling the responses and emphasizing all the dread words with a cruel relish. Again, I see her dark eyes roll around the church when she says, miserable sinners, as if she were calling all the congregation names. Again, I catch rear glimpses of my mother moving her lips timidly between the two, with one of them muttering at each ear like a low thunder. Again, I wonder, with a sudden fear, whether it is likely that our good old clergyman can be wrong, and Mr. and Miss Murdstone right, and that all the angels in heaven can be destroying angels. Again, I move a finger, or uh, uh, relax a muscle of my face. Miss Murdstone pokes me with her prayer book and makes my side ache. Yes, and again, as we walk home, I note some neighbors looking at my mother and at me and whispering. Again, as the three go arm in arm, and I linger behind alone, I follow some of those looks. And I wonder if my mother's step be really not so light as I have seen it, and if the gaiety of her beauty be really almost, eh, worried away. Again, I wonder whether any of the neighbors call to mind, as I do, how we used to walk home together, she and I, and, and I wonder stupidly about that. Oh, all the dreary, dismal day. There have been some talk on occasions of my going to boarding school. Mr. and Miss Murdstone had originated, and my mother had, of course, agreed with them. Nothing, however, was concluded on the subject yet. In the meantime, I, I learnt lessons at home. Shall I ever forget those lessons? They were presided over nominally by my mother, but really by Mrs. Murdstone and his sister. Uh, it, who were always present, and I found them a favorable occasion for giving my mother lessons in that miscalled firmness, which was the bane of both our lives. I believe I was kept at home for that purpose. I had been apt enough to learn, and willing enough, when my mother and I had lived alone together. I can faintly remember learning the alphabet uh, at her knee. To this day, when I look upon the fat black letters in the primer, and the puzzling novelty of their shapes, and the easy good-natured O, and, uh, and, 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 and Q, and, uh, and S, seem to present themselves again before me as they used to. But they recall no feeling of disgust or reluctance on the, on the contrary, I seem to have walked along a path of flowers, uh, as far as the crocodile book, and have been cheered by the gentleness of my mother's voice, and and manner all the way. But these solemn lessons, which succeeded those I remember as the death blow of my peace, and a grievous daily drudgery and misery. Now they are very long, very very numerous, and very hard, perfectly unintelligible. Some of them, ah, to me, and I was generally as much as I bewildered by them as I believe my poor mother was herself. And with that, let's, uh, let's retire to my, my master bedroom. 
where I can read to you about new and exciting upcoming romance literature. Ah, I see you put on that dress I like. Come, come, my pet, sit next to me here on the silken sheets of the master bed, uh, bedroom's bed. Uh, as I whisper to you softly with my chapstick lips about the book The X Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Uh, public radio co-hosts navigate mixed signals in Rachel Lynn Solomon's sparkling romantic comedy debut, which... Apparently, isn't already a New York Times best-selling novel that seems to happen every time anyone writes a single book, no matter what. It's always a, nope, nope, this one's completely unheard of and unrecognized. Shay Goldstein has been a producer at her Seattle public radio stations for nearly a decade. And she can't imagine working anywhere else, but lately it's been a constant clash between her and her newest colleague, Dominic Yoon who's fresh off a journalism master's program and convinced he knows everything about public radio. Uh, when the struggling station needs a, a new concept, Shay proposes a show that her boss greenlights with excitement on the X-Talk. Two X's will deliver relationship advice live uh, on the air. Ah, their boss decides Shay and Dominic are the perfect co-hosts, given how much they already despise each other. Neither loves the idea of lying to listeners, but it's this or unemployment. Well, I know that, personally. I'm staring that in the face. Their audience gets invested fast, and it's not long before the X-Talk becomes a must-listen in Seattle and climbs podcast charts. As the show eh, gets bigger, so does their deception. Especially, burp, when Shay and Dominic start to fall for each other. In an industry that values truth, getting caught uh, could mean the end of more than just their careers. You want to learn a little bit about Rachel Lynn Solomon? Sure, I do. Rachel Lynn Solomon writes, tap dances, what, and collects lipstick, huh, in Seattle, Washington. She's the author of YA novels, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone, uh, Our Year of Maybe, and the forthcoming Today, Tonight, Tomorrow, June 2020. Her debut, uh, there's a couple dots, so if I click it, oh, it takes me to a whole new page. Uh, her debut romantic comedy, The X Talk, will be published in spring of 2021. Uh, this says it's coming out in January 26th, so so much for the spring of 2021. Uh, not already a New York Times bestseller, which is disheartening. Uh, but if you feel like picking it up, uh, pick up The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon and uh, read it and then just just walk into a lake with rocks in your pocket and just disappear as your head slowly submerges under the sweet film of water as the sun sets slowly on your visage. Well, back to the show. Let's learn more about what's going on with David. Hip, 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 hip. Let me remember uh, how it used to be and bring one morning back again. 
I come into the second best parlor after breakfast with my books and, uh, and, uh, and an exercise book hmm, and a slate. My mother is ready for me at her writing desk, but not half so ready as Mr. Murdstone in his easy chair by the window, though he pretends to be reading a book, or as Miss Murdstone sitting near my mother stringing steel beads. Burp. The very sight of these two has such an influence over me that I begin to feel the worlds I have been at infinite pains to get into my head, all sliding away, and I and going I don't know where. I wonder where do they go, uh, by the by. I hand the first book to my mother. Perhaps it is grammar, perhaps it is history, or eh, ugh, geography. I take at last a drowning look at the page, so I give it to her hand, and start off aloud in a racing pace while I have got it fresh. I trip over a word. Mr. Murdstone looks up. I trip over another word. Miss Murdstone looks up. I redden, tumble over half a dozen words, and stop. I think my mother would show me the book if she dared, but she does not dare. And she says very softly, Oh, Davy, Davy. Now, Clara, says Miss Murdstone, be firm with the boy. Don't say, Oh, Davy, Davy. That's childish. He knows his lesson, or he does not know it. He does not know it, Miss Murdstone interposes awfully. I'm afraid he does not, says my mother. Then you see Clara, returns Miss Murdstone. You should just give him the book back and make him know it. Yes, certainly, says my mother. Uh, that is what I intend to do. My dear Jane, now, Davy, try once more, and don't be stupid. I obey the first clause of my injunction more than trying, uh, by trying once more, but I am not so successful with the second, for I am very stupid. I tumble down before I get to the old place at a, at a point where I was all right before and stopped to think, and I can't think about the, about the lesson. I think about the number of yards of net in Miss Murdstone's cap, or of the price of Mr. Murdstone's dressing gown, uh, or of any such ridiculous problem that I have no business with and don't want to have anything at all to do with. Mr. Murdstone makes a, a movement of impatience, which I have been expecting for a long time. Miss Murdstone does the same. My mother glances submissively at them, shuts the book, and lays it uh, by as an error, an error, a error, an error, A-R-R-E-A-R. Let's look that one up. That was weird. Arrears. Uh, money that is owed and should have been paid earlier. Okay, well, whatever. Arrears to be worked out when my other tasks are done. There is a pile of these arrears very soon, and it swells like a rolling snowball. The bigger it gets, the more stupid I get, and the case is so hopeless, and I feel that I am wallowing in such a bog of nonsense that I give up all idea of getting out and abandon myself to my fate. The despairing way in which my mother and I look at each other as I blunder on is truly melancholy. But the greatest effect in these miserable lessons is when my mother, thinking nobody's observing her, tries to give me the cue by the motion of her lips. At that instant, Miss Murdstone, who has been lying in wait for nothing else all along, says in a deep and warning voice, Clara! My mother starts, uh, colors, and smiles faintly. Mr. Murdstone comes out of his chair, uh, takes the book, throws it at me, or boxes my ears with it, and turns me out of the room by the shoulders. Even when the lessons are done, the worst is yet to happen in the shape of an appalling sum. 
This is invented for me and delivered to me orally by Mr. Murdstone. It begins, uh, if I go into a cheesemonger shop and buy 5,000 double Gloucester cheeses at four pence half penny each, present payment, at which I see Mr. Miss Murdstone secretly overjoyed, I pour over these cheeses without any result or enlightenment until dinner time, when, having made a mulatto of myself, uh, that's... That's tenuous. By getting the dirt of the slate into the pores of my skin, I have a, a slice of bread to help me out with the cheeses, and I am considered in disgrace for the rest of the evening. Well, that was bizarre. It seems to me, at this distance of time, as if my unfortunate studies generally uh, took this course, I have done very well if I had been without the Murdstones. But the influence of the Murdstones upon me was like the fascination of a... Uh, of, uh, oh, I don't know, two snakes on a wretched young bird. Even when I did get through the morning with tolerable credit, there was not much gained but dinner. For Miss Murdstone never could endure to see me untasked, and if I rashly made any show of being un unemployed, ooh, that's not a word I want to see, because I'm staring that in the face, uh, called her brother's attention to me by saying, Clara, my dear, there's nothing like work. G give your boy an exercise, which caused me to be clapped down to some new labor there and then. As to any recreation with other children of my age, I had uh, nah, little of that, for the gloomy theology of the Murdstones made all children out to be a, a swarm, a swarm of little vipers. Though there was, oh, was in all caps, a child once set in the midst of the disciples and held that they contaminated one another. The natural result of this treatment continued, I suppose, for some six months or more, uh, was to make me sullen, dull, and dogged. I was not made the less so by my sense of being daily more and more shut out and alienated from my mother. I believe I should have been almost stupefied, but for one circumstance, it was this— my father had left a small collection of books in a little room upstairs, to which I had access for to join my own, and which nobody else in our house ever troubled. From that blessed little room, Roderick Random, Peregrine Pickle, Humphrey Clinker, and Tom Jones, and the vicar of Wakefield, Don Quixote, uh, Gil Blas, and Robinson Caruso, came out a glorious host to keep me company. Oh, they kept alive my fancy and my hope of something beyond that place and time. They, and the Arabian Nights, and uh, the tales of the genie, did me no harm, for whatever harm was in some of them uh, was not there for me. I knew nothing of it. It was astonishing to me now how I found the time in the midst of my pourings and blunderings over heavier themes to read the books as I did. I, it was curious to me how I could have ever consoled myself under my small troubles. Uh, which were great troubles to me, by impersonating my favorite characters in them, as I did, and by putting Mr. and Mrs. Murdstone into all the bad ones, which I did too. I have been Tom Jones, uh, uh, yeah, child's Tom Jones, a harmless creature, uh, for a week together. I have sustained my own idea of Roderick Random for a month at a stretch, I verily believe, and I had greedily relished for a few volumes of voyages burp and travels. I forget what now uh, that were on those shelves. For days and days I can remember to have gone without my uh, region in the house, armed with the centerpiece out of an old set of boot trees. What's a boot tree? Not looking it up. And the perfect realization of Captain Somebody of the Royal British Navy. 
in danger of being beset by savages and resolved to to sell his life at a great price. Uh, The captain never lost dignity from having his ears boxed with the Latin, Latin grammar. I did, but the captain was a captain and a hero, in despite of all the grammars of all the languages of the world, dead or alive. This was my only and constant comfort. When I think of it, the picture always rises in my mind of a, of a, of a summer evening. Uh, the boys at play, ah, ha, ha, in the churchyard, and I sitting in my bed, reading as if for life. Every bard in the neighborhood, every stone in the church, every foot of the churchyard had some association of its own, in my mind, connected with these books and stood for some locality made famous in them. I have seen Tom Pipes go climbing up the the church steeple. I have watched Strap, with a knapsack on his back, stopping to rest himself upon the wicket gate, and I know that the Commodore Trunnin held that club with Mr. Pickle in the parlor of our little village alehouse. The reader eh, now understands as well as I do that I was when I came to that point in my youthful history, uh, to which I am now coming again. One morning, uh, when I went to the parlor with my books, I found my mother looking uh, ooh, anxious, Miss Murdstone looking firm, and Mr. Murdstone binding something ooh, around the bottom of a cane, a lithe and uh, limber cane, which he left off binding when I came in and poised and uh, switched in the air. Now, I tell you, Clara, said Mr. Murdstone, I have often flogged myself. Had to be sure, of course, said Mr. Murds- Miss Murdstone. Certainly, my dear Jane, faltered my mother meekly. But you, uh, do you think it did Edward good? Or do you think it did Edward harm? Clara, asked Miss Mr. Murdstone gravely. Eh, that's the point, said his sister. To this, my mother returned, certainly, my dear Jane, and said no more. I felt apprehensive that I was personally interested in this dialogue and sought Mr. Murdstone's eyes. It was lighted on mine. Uh, now, David, he said, and I saw that cast again as he said it. You must be far more careful today than usual. He gave the cane another poise and another switch, and having finished his preparation of it, laid it down beside him with an impressive look and, and took up his book. This was a good freshener to my presence of mind. As a beginning, I felt the words of my lesson slipping off, uh, not one by one, but line by line, but by an entire page. I tried to lay hold of them, but they seemed, as if I may so express it, to have put skates on and to skim away from me with a, with a smoothness. There was no checking. We began badly and went on worse. I had come in with the idea of distinguishing myself, rather conceiving that I was very well prepared, uh, that it turned out to be quite a mistake. Book after book was added to the heap of failures, Miss Murdstone being firmly watchful of us all the time, and when we came at last to the 5,000 cheeses, canes, he made it that day, I remember, my mother burst out crying. Clara! said Miss Murdstone in her warning verse, uh, voice. I am not quite well, my dear Jane, I think, said my mother. I, I saw him wink solemnly at his sister as he rose and said, taking up the cane, Why, Jane, we can hardly expect Clara to bear with perfect firmness the worry and torment that David has occasioned her today. That would be stoical. Clara is greatly strengthened and improved. 
but we can hardly expect so much from her. David, eh, you and I will, will go upstairs, boy. As he took me out the door, my mother ran toward us. Miss Murdstone said, Clara, uh, are you a perfect fool? And interfered. I saw my mother stop uh, her ears then, and I heard her crying. He walked me up to my room slowly and gravely. And I am certain he had a a delight in that formal parade of executing justice. And when we we got there, suddenly twisted my head under his arm. Mr. Murdstone, sir, I cried to him. Don't pray, don't beat me. I have tried to learn, sir, but I can't learn while you and Miss Murdstone are by. I I can't indeed. Can't you? Indeed, David, he said. We'll try that. He had my head as if in a vice, but I twined around him somehow and stepped him from a mo- or stopped him for a moment, entreating him not to beat me. It was only a moment that I stopped him, for he cut me heavily an instant afterwards, and in the same instant I caught the hand with which he held me in my mouth between my teeth. This is not fun to read. This is kind of terrifying. And bit it through. It sets my teeth on edge to think about it. He beat me then as if he would have beaten me to death. Jeez, this is not fun to read at all. Above all, like I can't do fun voice while reading this. Above all we made, I heard them running up the stairs and crying out. I heard my mother crying out and Peggotty. Then he was gone and the door was locked outside and I was lying, fevered and hot and torn and sore and raging in my puny way upon the floor. How, How well I recollect... When I become quiet, what an unnatural stillness seemed to reign through the whole house. For I well remember when my smart and passion began to cool, how wicked I began to feel. I sat listening for a long while, but there was not a sound. I I crawled up from the floor and saw my face in the glass, so swollen, red, and ugly that it almost frightened me. My stripes were sore and stiff and made me cry afresh. When I moved, but they were nothing to... To the guilt I felt, it lay heavier on my breast than if I had been a most atrocious criminal, I dare say. It had begun to grow dark, and I had shut the window. I had been lying, for the most part, with my head upon the still, sill, uh, by turns crying, dozing, and looking listlessly out, when the key was turned and Miss Murdstone came in with some bread and meat and milk. These she put down upon the table without a word, glaring at me the while with exemplary firmness, and then retired, locking the door after her. That was a giant sentence with no periods. Long after it was dark, I sat there, wondering whether anybody else would come. When this appeared improbable for that night, and I undressed and I went to bed, and there I began to wonder fearfully what would be done to me. Whether it was a criminal act that I committed, whether I should be taken into custody and sent to prison, whether I was at all in danger of being hanged. I never shall forget the waking next morning, the being cheerful and fresh for the first moment, and then the being weighed down by the stale and dismal oppression of remembrance. Miss Murdstone reappeared before I was out of bed and told me in so many words that I was uh, free to walk in the garden for half an hour and no longer and retired, leaving the door open, that I might avail myself of that permission. Now I did so, and did so every morning of my imprisonment, which lasted five days. If I could have seen my mother alone, I should have gone down on my knees to her and besought her my forgiveness. But I saw no one. Miss Murdstone accepted. During the whole time, 
except at the evening prayers in the parlor to which I was escorted by Miss Murdstone after everybody else was placed, uh, where I was stationed, a young outlaw, all alone by myself near the door, and whence I was solemnly conducted by my jailer before anyone arose from the devotional posture, I only observed that my mother was uh, as far off from me as she could be, and kept her face another way that I had never saw. This is all terrible to read. That Mr. Murdstone's hand was bound up in a large linen wrapper. The length of those five days I can convey no idea of it to, to anyone. They occupy the place of years in my remembrance, the way in which I listened to all the incidents of the house that made themselves audible to me, the ringing of bells, the, the opening and shutting of doors, the murmuring of voices, the footsteps on the stairs, to, to any laughing, uh, whistling, or singing outside, which seemed more dismal than anything else to me in my solitude and disgrace. The uncertain pace of the hours, especially at night when I would wake thinking it was morning, and find that the family were not yet gone to bed, and that all the length of the night had yet to come, the, the depressed dreams and nightmares I had, uh, the return of the day, noon, afternoon, evening, when the boys played in the churchyard, and when I watched them from a distance within the room, being ashamed to show myself at the window lest they should know I was a prisoner. The strange sensation of never hearing myself speak, the, the fleeting intervals of something like cheerfulness, which came with eating and drinking and went away with it. The setting in of the rain in the evening and the fresh smell of it coming down faster and faster between me and the church until it and gathering the night seemed to quench me in gloom and fear and remorse. All this appears to have gone round and round for years instead of days and so vividly and strongly stamped upon my remembrance. On that last night of my restraint I was awakened by hearing my own name spoken in a whisper. I started up in my bed, and putting out my arms in the dark, I said, Is that, is that you, Peggy? There was no immediate answer, but presently I heard my name again, in a tone so mysterious and awful that I think I should have gone into a fit if it had not occurred to me that it, it must have come through the keyhole. I, I groped my way to the door, and putting my own lips to the keyhole, <laughs> whispered, Is that you, Peggy, my dear? Yes, my own precious Davy, she replied. Be, be as soft as a mouse, or the cattle hear us. Oh, I understood this to be Miss Murdstone, and was sensible of the urgency of the case, her room being close by. How, how's Mama, dear Peggotty? Is she very angry with me? I could hear Peggotty crying softly on her side of the keyhole as I was doing of mine before she answered, No, uh, not very. It was going to be done with me, Peggotty, dear, do you know? Uh, school near London was Peggotty's answer. I was obliged to get her to repeat it, for she spoke it at the first time quite down my throat, in consequence of my having forgotten to take my mouth away from the keyhole and uh, put my ear there. And though her words oops, tickled me a good deal, I didn't hear them. When, Peggotty? Tomorrow. Is that the reason why Miss Murdstone took the clothes out of my drawers, which she had done, though I had forgotten to mention it? Yes, said Peggotty. Box. Shan't I see Mama? Yes, said Peggotty. Morning. Then Peggotty fitted her mouth close to the keyhole and delivered these words, though as much of a feeling of earnestness as a keyhole had ever been in the medium of communicating, I will venture to assert shooting in each broken little sentence in a convulsive little burst of its own. Davy, dear, if I hadn't been 
asically as to imitate with you lately as I used to be. It ain't because I don't love you just as well as more, my pretty poppet. Ah, boy, poppet. It's uh, because I thought it better for you and for someone else besides Davy, my darling. I, I, I listening. Can you hear? Ye, 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 yes, Peggy, I sobbed. Yeah, it's Y-E-Y-E-Y-E-Yes. My own, said Peggotty, with infinite compassion. What I want to say is that you must never forget me, for I'll never forget you. And I'll take as much care of your mama, Davy, as I ever took of you, and I won't leave her. The day may come when she'll be glad to lay her poor head on her stupid, cross old Peggotty's arm again. And I'll write you, my dear, though... I ain't no scholar, and I'll, I'll, Peggy fell to. Kissing the keyhole? As she couldn't kiss me. Thank you, dear Peggy, said I. Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. Will you promise me one thing, uh, Peggy? Will you write and tell Mr. Peggy and little Emily and Mrs. Gummidge and Ham that I am not so bad as they might suppose, and that I sent them all my love, especially, especially to little Emily? Will you, if you please, Peggy? Now the kind soul promised, and we both of us kissed the keyhole with our greatest affection. Weird. I patted it with my hand, I recollect, as if I had uh, been her it been her honest face, and parted. From that night there grew up in my breast a feeling for Peggy, which I cannot uh, very well define. She did not replace my mother. No one could do that. But she came into a vacancy in my heart, which closed upon her, and I felt toward her something I have never felt for any other human being. And it was a sort of uh, eh, comical affection, too. And yet, if she had died, I cannot think what I should have done, or how I should have acted out of the tragedy it would have been to me. In the morning, Miss Murdstone appeared as usual and told me I was uh, going to school which was not altogether such news to me as supposed. Uh, she also informed me that when I was dressed, I was to come downstairs into the parlor and have my breakfast. There I found my mother, very pale with red eyes, into whose arms I ran and begged her pardon for my suffering soul. Oh, oh, Davy, she said, that you could hurt anyone I love. Try to be better. Pray to be better. I forgive you, but I am so grieved, Davy, that you should have had such bash uh, bad passions in your heart. They had persuaded her that I was a wicked fellow and that she was more sorry for that than uh, for my going away. I felt it sorely. I tried to eat my parting breakfast, but my tears dropped upon my bread and butter. It trickled, it trickled into my tea. I saw my mother look at me sometimes and then glance at the watchful Miss Murdstone and then look down or uh, look away. Master Copperfield's box there, said Miss Murdstone when the wheels were heard at the gate. I looked for Peggotty, but it was not she. Neither she nor Mr. Murdstone appeared, my former acquaintance. The carrier was at the door. The box was taken out to his cart and lifted in. Clara, said Miss Murdstone in her warning note. Ready, my dear Jane, returned my mother. Goodbye, Davy. You are going for your own good. Goodbye, eh, my child. You will come home in the holidays and uh, and be a better boy. Clara, Miss Murdstone repeated. Certainly, my dear Jane, replied my mother, who was holding me. I forgive you, my dear boy. God bless you. Clara, Miss Murdstone repeated. Miss Murdstone uh, was good enough to take me out to the cart and say on the way that she hoped I would repent. 
before I came to a bad end. And then I got into the cart, and that lazy horse walked off with it. Well, let's retire into the smoking room and and discuss what we've read. Uh, Basically, David comes back and uh, not happy with his household surroundings. Uh, The Murdstones suck. The Murdstones' sister shows up, and she's just as cruel as Mr. Murdstone. The mom is kind of being held captive in this as they're all about uh, discipline and harshness. And it's all about schoolwork after that. Not letting him play with friends. He looks out his window and sees kids playing in the distance. Uh, There's a secret room off his room that has all of his dad's books, which makes that even more sad because he's uh, remembering his dad through the literature that his dad is sort of posthumously giving him. And uh, he lives a fantasy life through that. Uh, And then a horrible beating scene that somehow got to me. Uh, it stopped being fun to read. It, uh, Mr. Funny Voice Glenn uh, didn't enjoy doing the funny voice while reading that. And uh, it was uh, kind of just generally sad. And then he's getting sent off to school as his mother cries the whole time about it. Uh, Peggy, a harsh woman, uh, not as harsh as the Murdstones, whispers to him through the keyhole and kisses, kisses the keyhole, and he kisses the keyhole back says that they're sending you to school tomorrow, uh, to a different school back in, uh, in London or whatever. And so, uh, and that's kind of where it leaves off. Uh, what's good about this? Uh, it's a good story still. I'm still enjoying it. Uh, and uh, the writing about the beating, even though hard to read, uh, the fact that I felt something while reading it is a good thing. What sucks? The beating part of the story sucks. I uh, didn't enjoy reading that at all, but made it a good story overall because you generally, I felt empathy for David as I was reading about it. Uh, and also lightly touches on the deep psychological after effects of that, which is the the beating aside, he felt more pain for the guilt of what he perceived he may have done, though he couldn't understand what happened. Uh, wow. Anyways, uh, what did we learn? Yeah, parents are jerks, especially new dads. New dads suck. Uh, so we learned that. If you're in a situation where your mom remarries, just expect that person to suck. We're learning that from this story. Well, with that, uh, uh, be quiet. I got a little loud while reading. Uh, there's racists out there slumbering and getting ready for the next big wave of activity. Uh, they don't have their... Their apps like they used to, like Parler, their favorite little racist apps, when they hold up their iPhone, wipe off the finger grease on the screen, and, and log in. Well, they couldn't log in anymore. It got shut down because nobody wants to support racism as much as they thought they did. And they get all upset about First Amendment rights. But uh, now they're worked into a lather. So as they slumber and uh, have their visions of uh, racial hatred, uh, we can just enjoy the next you know, seven days of hopefully feeling like the world is still peaceful before everything falls apart. And uh, if it's any consolation, while that happens, uh, I will still be here in my uh, pretend mansion with all the sound effects uh, still reading to you, David Copperfield. 
Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 